0: Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. All right, hey, welcome everybody. Uh, this morning, you're gonna need program notes. We have them in the program. If you didn't get those, uh, just raise your hand. The ushers on the side, they'll get those to you so you can take notes and uh, fill in the blank. Last Sunday, if you were here, I mentioned that I was gonna speak on Psalm 19. I'm pushing that back a little for what I feel like um, I'm to talk about today. But you know what, summer is, uh, man, it's sad. Summer's almost over. I mean, it's back to school. Uh, kids are going back to school. Can you believe it? Uh, I used to love going to summer camp. I don't know if any of your kids got to go to summer camp. I remember when I was packing for my very first summer camp, my parents were going to send me away, and uh, my mom told me to write uh, my name inside the my underwear on the label. And uh, I kept thinking, I kept thinking, how strange that someone might want my underwear. That was my first thing. And besides that, this guy named Haynes already wrote his name. In my underwear, and, and you, you could probably guess that I was not being sent to a camp for the gifted. You know what I'm saying? Well, David Mosley was a childhood friend of mine, and we met that year at summer camp. I will never forget David Mosley. We could not be more different. He, we were raised obviously in different families, different neighborhoods. He was black. I was white. I'm still white. As far as I know, David's still black, and uh, David was kind of short and skinny and and very good-looking. I was tall, and I used to be really good-looking, and uh, we experienced this deep bond of friendship at summer camp that year, and we just, man, he and I, we laughed so hard. I think I was his first white friend, and I think uh, he was my first black friend, and so we even formed a singing group, and we performed at camp, and so... David Mosley, Mosley wrote a song and he had me sing the first verse and the first verse was this, I want to be jet black, as black as I can be, just like an old oak tree. Mosley, he was a lyrical genius, that guy. I mean, he was, he was way ahead of his time and he would laugh so hard mocking me and making me sing that song. Uh, but Mosley and I, we had so much fun together. We were pulling pranks on each other at camp and all the other kids at school, and we played football on this big, huge, grassy lawn, and I got to kiss my first girl at camp. It was so gross. Oh, it was gross. And uh, But Mosley was an unlikely friend that became a great friend. And I tell you that story because this story that we're about to read captures the moment when two unlikely friends meet for the first time. And they discover that through their friendship, they would experience God's destiny for their lives. Here's the passage, 1 Samuel chapter 18. In your program notes, you can follow along or on the screen. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, that's King Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to David's friend, to David's friend and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. You know, friendships are one of the greatest joys in life. According to the Gallup poll, the number of close friends that Americans have is growing smaller. One of the most touching friendships in all of sports history, I love football, we're back into the football season, was at the game last night. But in 1965, there was this incredible story, and it was a story about Gil Sears, who at that time was the greatest running back in the National Football League. He was the first round draft pick into the Chicago Bears. And the other runner that was in the backfield was a man named Brian Piccolo. And many years ago, the original movie is the best one. The original movie was based on on these two men and their lives and their friendship, and it was called Brian's Song. And I, I met a young man uh, this this uh, last week at a restaurant, and he told me, his name is Brian, and he, he told me that his parents actually named him after this movie, Brian's Song. And it's a true story about a black and a white runner. Who, for the very first time, imagine this, in NFL history, roomed together on the road in the 1960s. At age 26, Brian Piccolo found out that he had cancer, and that deepened their friendship. Gail Ceres would call him after every game while he was on the road to see how Brian was doing, and then when he would fly back into Chicago, he'd go straight to the hospital after every game and he'd spend time with his friend Brian. It was in 1969 that Gail Sayers would receive the George Hallis Award at a banquet for being the most courageous athlete. Well, that night when Gail Sayers got up and stood up with this huge trophy in hand for being honored to be the most courageous athlete, he spoke to a a banquet room that was filled with about 2,000 people, and he said these words, I quote, Thank you for this award, but I accept it for my friend. Brian Piccolo. He's in the hospital tonight and he's dying. He's the most courageous athlete that I've ever known. I love Brian Piccolo. I wish you could know Brian like I know him. If you knew Brian like I knew him, know him, you would love Brian too. And that great story of friendship, it just captured the imagination of sports history and news across America. I've watched the movie *Brian Song so many times, and it's forever etched in my mind that banquet scene when Gil Sarris, played by Billy D. Williams, gets up with tears running down his face, and he says, I love Brian Piccolo. Our passage today tells the story of when David and Jonathan, two very unlikely friends, met together. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background on David. David was a poor boy from a big family. David was, was of dark skin, and he was the eighth son who was ignored by his brothers, and he was overlooked by his father. And so one day, God tells the prophet Samuel, he says, I want you to go to Jesse's house, David's father's house, and I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. Write this down if you're taking notes. God knows where I live. He knows the address of your home. He's even seen inside your garage. (laughs) For some of you, that's terrifying. And because God has you on His GPS, and He knows where you live, and He knows your address, He can find you, and He can send the right person to you at just the right time in your life. In fact, God brings people into your life for His purposes to mold and shape you. And when Samuel arrived at David's house, the prophet uh, almost anoints the wrong person. Samuel tried to find, you know, someone that looked like the king, right? Of course. And so Samuel's Samuel's looking on the outward appearance. And so he, he looked over the shorter, the, the less athletic-looking boys, and he finds this one brother that's really tall and strong and better-looking than the other boys, and no doubt he thought, well, this would be a good replacement for King Saul because King Saul, the Scripture says, stood head and shoulders above everybody else in the land. He was very tall, very handsome, and so let's find someone that looks like him, that looks the part. And so it was customary back then to use oil and to pour the oil over the head as a sign of blessing, and the oil represented the very presence of God. And so when a king was appointed or anointed for a position or an assignment or a role, the prophet or the man of God would pour oil over him. So when David tries to anoint the wrong brother, basically the oil would not flow, meaning God wasn't in it. There was a big check. His favor and his blessing wasn't on the one that Samuel was trying to anoint. And so it says in verse 7, verse Samuel 16, but the Lord said to Samuel in that moment, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Write this down. What God has for me has nothing to do with the way I look to you. you. What God has for me has nothing to do with the way I look to you. What God has for me has nothing to do with the way I look to you. Can I get an amen? amen? God has for me has something for me that has nothing to do with the way I look to other people. If I'm the one, if I'm the right person, if it's my assignment, if I'm the best person for the job, even when people try to move others into that position, it'll never work. Because the oil will not flow until it gets to my head. It's not It's not an egotistical thing. It's not a pride thing. It's just that you just know what God's made you for. You know what God has called you for. You know what God has forged inside of your heart and who you are as a person. The team doesn't flow. The marriage doesn't flow. The family doesn't flow until you're in the right place that God has for you. Samuel knew God wasn't in it when he tried to force someone else. And so Samuel asked their father, Jesse, is there anyone else? This person is not flowing. We keep trying to bring the wrong person in here Are you trying to make the wrong person the right person in your life? You see, when it's right, when you find the right boyfriend, it flows. And your family will love him. When you find the right girlfriend, it flows. When you find the the right wife, your wife, it flows. When you get the right job, it flows. When you find the right church, it just feels like home. When you serve where you belong, it just flows. You have favor. So finally they go out and they find David and they bring him in and the, and the oil just begins to flow because he has God's favor all over him. You can see it when God's favor is on another person. Even when you feel like you're on the outside, God can still bring you to the inside. But there's more to it. Favor and timing both matter. Samuel anoints David to be the king of Judah, and then he sends David back to take care of sheep. Pretty anticlimactic. He has God's favor, but it's not God's time. Everybody can see he has God's favor, but it's not God's time. And so God will oftentimes give you a glimpse of what is to come into your future, into your business, into your relationships, into your calling, into your education, and into your life, so you'll begin to watch for it, so you can wait for it. We see something and we immediately want to grab a hold of it. Isn't that true? But oftentimes God will show you so He can begin, it'll give you the cost of the pain that you're about to go through. The character development, the shaping of who you are as a man or woman must happen before you step into your calling. So time is an unlikely friend as well. We rarely want to take time to slow down, we usually want to take time to hurry up. There are two different words in the scripture. For our English word time, there's time chronos, which is what time of day is it? And then there's time kairos. Kairos, it is the appointed time of God's purpose for your life. God has, got, the, the Word of God says that your moments and times are in God's hand. There are moments and times for you that really matter, that you need to be watching for. Kairos is a window of opportunity created by a word from God. You need to be not listening to me. You need to be listening right now for what God wants to say to you, the word of the Lord that God has for your heart and your life. And when God says to you, now is your time, time then escorts you into what God has for you. What are the dreams in your heart today? you may not get all you want today, but it's only a matter of time. Can you say that out loud? It's only a matter of time. Ready? One, two, three. It's only a matter of time, right? Imagine David as a shepherd boy and he's sitting there late at night. He's looking up at the stars in the sky and he's thinking, how can this be? Did that really just happen? The prophet of God came to my house and anointed me. How do I get from my situation to my destination? Ever wonder that? It's only a matter of time. This is where a lot of people miss it. They get a sense of what God wants to do in their life, and they try to make it happen before they are ready, before God is ready. Many years ago, I was sitting in a billionaire's office, and uh, he wanted to give our church at that time some property, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like it was the right property. You don't just take everything that's wanted to be given to you. That's not the way God works. God has all the property he wants. He can give it to you when you need it. It wasn't the right property, so I turned him down. But in the course of the conversation, he says something to me. He says this, I will never forget this. He says this. He said, I believe in stepping stones. Scripture says that our steps are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered by the Lord. Each and every step matters. So David's next step was not to go from a shepherd to a king. That's a big step, wouldn't you say? He wasn't ready for the big step. So his next step was to go from a shepherd boy to an errand boy. His brothers were fighting on the front lines, and they needed someone to bring them lunch. So Jesse the father says, David, I need you to go on an errand. I need you to go take your brother's lunch. Their brothers were standing before a giant named Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Now this is what maturing people do. You want to find people that are maturing, you'll find them vacuuming, setting up chairs and cleaning toilets and helping park cars and picking up lunch for everybody, and you'll see them do it with great joy in their heart because they just get it. God's value system is different than human beings. You see, human beings compare and they classify and they generalize and they categorize people by what they do rather than who they are. But God looks on the inside, not the outside. And God says the way to more influence in the kingdom of God is by developing a heart of service towards other people. And so David serves his brothers by bringing them lunch. You can write this down in your notes. While David was serving, he walked right into his destiny. God prepares you for a thing before you get there. When society trains you, they give you a university. When God trains you, He uses adversity. Many of you have a degree from UA, the University of Adversity. You know that, right? You have a story. God builds your faith by helping you overcome the giants that you face. I was born right after my older sister Darla died. She died at 10 months of age of pneumonia in Barstow, California. My parents were pastoring there. They had no money to ship my sister's body up to Rockland in Northern California. So they were given back then, you could do this, they were given a special permit and they took their little baby girl and they uh, put her in a box, a three-foot box, and wrapped that box in brown paper and placed her in the back seat of their car and tearfully drove her home to Rockland. Within a year, uh, or two of my, de- my dad's body began to be crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. He was a healthy guy. He was a journeyman carpenter and, and also a pastor. He would use his trade and then plant churches. And within a year, he was in a wheelchair and could not walk. In 1989, our youngest son, Isaac, was born with cerebral palsy. In 2005, my wife was diagnosed with MS. In one 10-year period, 10 family members died in ca- of cancer, one a year. We were at the funeral home once a year. Tracy's mother right now is battling cancer. My mother last November was diagnosed with cancer. God gives you the grace you need to overcome any trial or any tribulation in your life. This is not our home. (laughs) If this is heaven, I don't want any. (laughs) But we try to make earth heaven, and it's not heaven. In heaven, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's only joy. You don't grow by becoming bitter or angry at God. That's a losing battle. You grow by becoming sweeter and softer, and you learn to surrender. And sometimes we want to remove a painful memory, but God wants to remove the pain of the memory. While serving his brothers, David met his Goliath. And when he faced this giant-sized problem, David drew from his past experiences, and he said, you know what? While I was a shepherd, I killed a lion. That'll build some confidence. And he said, I killed a bear. That'll build some confidence. And the God who delivered me then will deliver me now. The God who delivered you in your history will bring you into your destiny. After David knocked Goliath down with one stone, he took the sword in his enemy's hands. And one of the strongest displays of military strength in that day was to kill your enemy with their own weapon. You have to learn to take the very thing the enemy wants to ruin your life with. Your hurt, your pain, your potential bitterness. You have to take the very thing that keeps you up at night, and you have to learn to overcome that thing. That is your giant. That is your pain. And we all have different challenges. Everybody here has a different story, and we have different sized crosses that we bear. Satan used the cross to kill Jesus, and Jesus used the cross to overcome the works of Satan and to deliver the whole world eternal life. That's what Jesus does in our life. He takes your cross, and if you'll let him, It'll bring deliverance to your family and to the whole world. Your adversity is your message. It's your story. Your challenge is to see your opportunity to help others with your story. All that background brings us back to this very moment now of our passage this morning. You see, the scene is this. David and Jonathan meet for the first time. David is actually bringing the head of Goliath to King Saul. Destiny has taken David completely out of his comfort zone. Imagine one moment you're, you're in a shepherd, you know, you're a shepherd in a field and the next moment crowds and crowds of soldiers and all of a sudden you're a complete celebrity in the kingdom of Israel and, and you're a young boy, a young man, and you're bringing the head of Goliath. And it's out of, he's completely out of his environment. He's completely out of his neighborhood. How, how many of you have move to the Bay Area, and you move from, I don't know, Oklahoma, that's an adjustment. (laughs) Arkansas, that's an adjustment. Alabama, that's an adjustment. You you understand what I'm talking about? You get moved completely out of your comfort zone. So David has moved away from his support system, away from his background. He's now in a palace in a context in which he has no training. Destiny will always take you way beyond your experience. Have you ever had God open an opportunity up for you and you just thought, golly. Remember when God provided you your first home and you walked into your first home and you just looked around and went, golly. I got, we got a home. Can you believe that? In the Bay Area, that's a double golly. You know what I'm saying? Have you, just been ever, have you just ever been so amazed, so shocked, so, like, are you kidding me? I get that kind of bonus? That's, that's amazing. And then, you know, other people are jealous of you, but you're just thinking, golly, I'm surprised too. You know? I didn't go to a, you know, camp for the gifted. I'm surprised too. Have you ever been upgraded to a suite, you know, hotel suite? And you walked in and you thought, golly, and then you said, and then you th- and then you said hey, kids, put down that water bottle. That's five bucks. David, a nobody, finds himself in a palace with an unlikely friend who was a somebody. And David doesn't know the protocol of the palace. He doesn't know, you know, when or how to bow. He doesn't know which fork to use on which side of the plate. He's at the king's table. He's vulnerable. He feels uncertain. He's out of his element because nothing in his future looks remotely familiar to his past. Human nature is you move to the Bay Area and you think, i got to get out of here. This is too much for me. Because your future looks nothing like your past. And it's into this moment, into this very moment comes Jonathan. Great friendships are forged out of a deep sense of need. That's when they happen. I remember many, many years ago, I, just, I didn't have a friend, and I cried out to God for a friend. And a, a, a friend of mine came along, Mark Gandy, one of my best friends to this day, but it came out of a huge need that I had for a friend in my life, and we've been bonded forever. When Jonathan met David, David didn't know anyone. If you've come to Brave regularly and you don't have many friends, on September 10th, we're starting our new home churches. They just meet for 10 weeks. They end right before Thanksgiving, and it's just a great opportunity for you to make some amazing friends. David doesn't know anyone in this new surrounding. It's like the first day of school. Jonathan, on the other hand, he's used to the palace. It's all that he's ever known. He understands the way of the palace. He knows the protocol of the palace. He knows how to dress for every occasion. Jonathan is the insider and David is the outsider. However, when David walks into Jonathan's life on that day, guess what? Jonathan and all of Israel were discouraged because his dad, King Saul was no longer a powerful leader. He was no longer a man of faith. Though he stood head and shoulders, and though he once had God's favor and anointing, he did not have the faith to fight another giant. Some of you are called. Some of you are more gifted than you've ever been. You've grown in maturity. You've been around church forever, and you're stuck. You're stuck. You're not fighting the last giant of your life. You're backing away from it. You're, going, you're just kind of wandering into retirement, so to speak. There's no such thing in the Bible. You need to fight your giants all the way to the end because you have something of value to teach us and to give us and to help us. Don't be a, turn into a King Saul. And so King Saul, his credibility was on the slide because he used to do great things and he's got great stories about all he did for years, but now he's doing basically nothing. And when Goliath cursed God and shamed them all publicly, Saul did nothing. Saul said nothing. And out of nowhere appears David a nobody, a shepherd boy, who was brave. And he faced Goliath and he won. And Jonathan is thinking, now that's the kind of guy I want to follow. That's the kind of leader I can respect. When you've gone as far as you can go alone, write this down, God will give you an unlikely friend who opens up a whole new world to you. The next thing God's getting ready to orchestrate in your life may involve a new friend. Make room for new friends. Because when you're going where you're going, you will need a divinely appointed friend in your life. Jonathan was the connecting friend between David's history and his destiny. But notice it was Jonathan, the the king's son, who reached out to David. Think about this. Great friendships start with humility. In verse 3, Jonathan made a special vow to David. Jonathan immediately opens up to David. Jonathan says, you know what, here's my robe, here's my tunic, here's my sword, here's my bow, here's my belt, here's everything I have. You see, Jonathan put himself out there. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there for friendships. You've got to be willing to put yourself in a home church and put yourself in places where relationships can happen. Jonathan, the one with all the money, all the power, all the resources, humbly gave everything he had to David. Jonathan was so Unbelievably humble. He was the one who was destined to take over the throne, and he turns around and gives it away to David because he saw God's anointing and favor on David. And I'm sure all of Jonathan's friends are going, What are you doing? He didn't go to our summer camp. Are you crazy? You know, David's not one of us. He's not royalty. He's not privileged. He didn't go to school with us. Are you crazy? This is a poor boy with a slingshot. He can't even read or write. Great friendships don't just happen. They start with humility. Two people, both of them, filled with humility. Somebody must decide, I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be your friend. Not long after David and Jonathan met, David spent years on the run from Jonathan's own father, Saul, who was jealous of him. Saul tried to murder David so many times. Please hear what I'm about to say. David did not allow the sins of Saul to influence how he saw Jonathan. Don't let the media do that to you. Don't let the news do that to you. Don't let propaganda do that to you. David did not allow the sins of Saul to influence how he saw Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. David was raised in the hood, the projects, the woods, the country, on the backside of the hills, probably had no teeth, I just made that up, I don't know. He wasn't wealthy, he wasn't renowned. Jonathan's royalty, he's nobility, he's been raised with the finest education and grooming that a young man can have. He had, all, he had servants all of his life. David had been a servant all of his life. And they found each other, unlikely friends. They saw past all of that, and they found this divinely enriching friendship. God's intention was to bless the world through their unlikely friendship. And I believe that God wants to do that for us today in the San Ramon Valley where we live, in our church where we belong. David was a fugitive. He was never able to give Jonathan anything. Some people are called to just bless you at just the right time, in just the right way, and you just never forget them for what they did for you. And when God sends into your life an unlikely friend, they always have something that you don't have. That's why they're an unlikely friend. They open doors for you that no one else can. They see the world differently than you. You know, many people get stuck because they only want to connect with their friends who are just like them. They have no time to do a home church, have no time to connect with other people. They're just in their comfort zone, and they're living their life, and they're stuck in their growth because we're not willing to reach out and really embrace other people. I don't have the energy for you. I don't even know if I like you. Sometimes we choose friends that haven't gone to any place that we haven't gone. They haven't seen anything that you haven't already seen. They're just like you. They can't take you to the next level because they're just like you. They're on your level. You say something, they agree with you. Wow. (laughs) They dress like you. They talk like you. They even act like you. But when you're really ready to grow, when you're ready to experience the thing that God has for you, you will need someone who is not like you to help you. You need a friend who carries themselves differently than you. If you're rough, you need smooth. If you're an introvert, you need an extrovert to drag you along, make you do things you wouldn't do. If you're rude, you need someone well-mannered. Amen, wives? If you're prideful, you need a humble friend. If you're insecure, you need a secure friend. If you're disorganized, you need someone who's organized. If you're you're an A's fan, you need to know a Giants fan. Come on. You need someone who can open up a whole new world to you. And God wants to give you some unlikely friends with people that are different than you right here in the San Ramon Valley. Because the whole world's moving here. And God wants to give you friends that come from a completely different background, friends who offer you strengths in different areas that you're, that you're weak in. You don't know everything and you don't have everything. Therefore, God wants to give us friends that challenge us to follow Jesus. In our family, in our parenting style, in our marriage, in our career, in our purpose, you can't help but love a friend like that. Verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. We often find people that are different, that are different is, is what we find is they, they're so much different than us, we find that we have things in common. Have you noticed that? You think they're all this difference, but then you find you have a lot in common. And David and Jonathan both had fathers that did not respect them or regard them. Neither Jonathan or David had a father that blessed them with significance or value or or self-worth. Both of them had hurts. Both of them had hurt family backgrounds, dysfunctional families they came from. Both of these guys needed to be healed. And they needed to find wholeness, a wholeness that they could not find apart from one another. You see, godly friendships encourage you, and they speak blessing over your life. They call the things out in you that they see, and, they, and just being around them makes you stronger, and they cheer you on. And David's life was at a point where he, could no, no, he couldn't go any farther without an unlikely friend. I believe that's a word to us, church. You need some different friends. They will enrich your life. And I want to speak to all of you that have been around church for years. You've seen some things. Man, you've got stories. You've got disappointments. I get that. And you can hold on to all your old stories about how you won in your past, but you will lose yourself in the present if you continue to do that. You can talk about how, man, I, I once killed a lion. I once led a, you know, killed a bear. I once led an amazing small group in home church, but I'm not into that today. I once did this. I once did that. And you're stuck. And I love you. And no, I'm not talking about you. I don't know who I'm talking about. We get stuck in a place of comfort, old attitudes, and we remain stuck. You may have had a great past, in fact, the older I get, the better I was. Uh, when, when major league baseball teams scouted me as a pitcher my senior year of high school, I had a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. They clocked me with, a, with one of those guns. Now when I tell the story, I was in middle school. I had a beard. And the New York Yan- Yankees, they clocked me at 110 miles an hour. We all have a great past. That's your past. The question is, who are you today? What are you doing for Jesus today? The Brave Church, man, we've, we've shifted and changed so much in four years. I don't even know the church from the first year or the second or the third. Or we, We've changed so much. God is doing a new thing always in us. New and unlikely friends take you to new places. Take a step of humility. Take a step out of your comfort zone. Later, when David was running from Saul, Jonathan went to to David's, uh, and, and he said this. He said, Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. You know, that would be the last time that David would ever see Jonathan. He didn't know that at the time. Jonathan and his father were killed in battle shortly thereafter, and during most of, the, of their entire friendship, David was not able to give anything to his friend Jonathan. David was always on the run, and he was always trying to protect his life. And I think David spent some nights outside of those caves in the desert and the wilderness, wishing that he could do something for his best friend Jonathan, wishing they could just hang out again. And the first thing that David did when he became king, was to inquire, does Jonathan have any living relatives? And that day, the king wanted to know that because they would kill any living relatives, because they would threaten your throne. Not David. David finds out that Jonathan has one son left. And so David sends for him, and, he, and here's what happens when he arrives in 2 Samuel 9, verse 7. The first thing David says is, don't be afraid, because that, that boy coming into that That room is thinking the king is going to take his life. And the first thing he says to Jonathan's son is, don't be afraid. I've asked you to come so that I can be kind to you. Because of my vow to your father, Jonathan, I will give you all the land that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. He gave Jonathan's son an entire king's or or his grandson, he gave him his entire wealth of a king. He says, that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you may live here with me at the palace. David completely provided for Jonathan's special needs son. He was a crippled son, disabled, and he provided for him the rest of his life. David must have thought, I was never able to show your father Jonathan the kindness that he showed me. I, I, was able, I was never able to give him anything. And Jonathan was a friend that invited David into all that he shared. Did you know that in the Old Testament, Jonathan is considered a type of Jesus because he acted like Jesus. He had everything, and he stepped down from his throne, and he gave it all away to David. Their relationship was forged out of a deep sense of need. And you know what? You and I today, we have a deep sense of need. You see, we need a Jonathan in our life. We need Jesus in our life because Jesus is the one, like Jonathan, who says, I'll die for you on the cross. I'll give you everything I have. I'll come down of heaven. I'll come out of my throne. I'll give you all that you need. And so Jesus Christ comes to you today, like Jonathan came to David, and he offers you what the Bible calls a robe of righteousness, meaning when you receive Jesus Christ, And ask for forgiveness of your sin. There's this robe of righteousness that covers all of your sin, all of your past, all of your hurt, all of your pain. The Word of God says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gave His Jonathan. He gave Jesus that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then I love verse 17, and we rarely hear it. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. That's the calling of Brave Church. That's what it means for you to belong here. We are not called to condemn. We're called to save. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind just to close your eyes, just in reverence to those that are around you. And I just want to start with, first of all, if you're here today and you'd like to receive the love of Jesus Christ, all that Jesus wants to offer you, If you'd like to make peace with God and receive forgiveness of sin, I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but right where you're sitting, just slip up your hand and say, yes, I'd like to do that. That's great. That's great. Amen. 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 I see all those hands. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, just respond to that. Amen. I'm going to pray with with all of you in a minute. man, let's just do that right now. Lord Jesus, right now, right right where you are, those of you that raised your hand, just make this your own prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I need you, Jesus. I need to be saved. And I ask you to come into my heart and my life. I want to begin to follow you. I want to be all that you call me to be. I need you, Jesus, to be my friend in this day and in this hour. And I need you as my Savior and Lord with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to call out to you, our church, you know what, I'm your pastor. That kind of means like sometimes I'm your coach. And sometimes it's like, hey, you need to do 20 push-ups. Listen, in September, you need to get in a home church. I'm almost not asking. I don't know if that's possible or politically correct. I'm just saying I love you so much, I want you in a home church. I want you facilitating home churches. I want you living in community. I want you to sacrifice your time to meet with unlikely friends and see what God will do in your life. Amen?